Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Synergy Cast. I'm your host, Sonia Joffer, and I am so thrilled to introduce you all to Rabita Tariq, who is a former UN intern and outreach organizer. She joins me this week for a conversation where we discuss her personal experiences being a Bengali, Muslim, and an immigrant. She opens up about the mental health struggles her and her family have experienced due to their migration journey and also discusses how her own experiences motivated her to fight for refugee and immigrant rights in the field of international migration herself. I want to put a content warning out there that we do discuss experiences with mental health struggles in this episode, including depression. So if that brings up any tough feelings or emotions for you while listening, please utilize that self-care and also it's okay to take breaks. If you want to look up Rabita and follow her on social media, you can do so on Instagram at bayofbengal underscore. Her TikTok is the same username and also her link tree is in the episode notes. So please go check her out and show her some love. Also, I included some resources if you want to get involved and learn more about how you can support immigrants and refugees. Please check out the two amazing organizations in the episode notes. One of them is called Immigrants Rising. They do some amazing work. I have their link tree and website linked. And also Freedom for Immigrants is another wonderful organization. So please go check those out and see what you can you can do in your own power to support immigrants and refugees. All right, everyone, that's it for the episode notes. I hope you all enjoy listening. All right, everyone, welcome back to Synergy Cast. I am so excited to introduce you all to Rabita. Rabita, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Of course. It. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for even inviting me. It's such a pleasure. Of course. Um, and I know that I personally found you through TikTok. And so I know that <laughs> you do make um, funny videos, but also like pretty like they're like funny, but also they're like pretty in like they have like information in them, too. They're pretty mm -hmm. like, you know, spreading knowledge about stuff, too. But they're also like playful and funny at the same time. I also know that you do study international migration. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. What else do you want to share about yourself to the listeners before we get started? Yeah, so I'm a Bangladeshi American, an immigrant. I came here about 11 years ago. My immigration story started with my dad because he immigrated here before us. Um, and he was an undocumented immigrant uh, for about 20 years of his life. And the way that I got to migrate with my mom and my brother was through the diversity visa application. So just pure luck, perhaps some blessing, uh, you know, from uh god uh or some divine spirit that i believe in um because you know we were away for 10 years the first 10 years when my dad immigrated here and it, it was tough it was really tough to navigate you know kind of the absence of a father figure but when we re reunited you know obviously there was a sense of unity and coming together and a sense of again like being a family together you know again after 10 years that was such a unique experience. But at the same time, there were a lot of struggles as well. 
that came with, you know, my father being undocumented, me being a very much of a new immigrant here. I started eighth grade. So whether it's language barriers, emotional, mental, a lot of struggles that kind of immigrants go through once they come here. I had to face all of that, you know, not just me, obviously, my mother, my brother as well. I felt that my story, even though it's unique to me, it's also something that a lot of immigrants can relate to, especially the folks who do have undocumented folks in their families and just the struggle that you have to go through in order to kind of, you know, not share the legal status and ways to hide it and ways to kind of um, you know, suppress our emotional struggles with it. So I feel I felt like the more I grew up, at first I definitely felt that it was just my struggle and no one can even know and no one can relate to me and that this I was just alone in this. But the more I grew up and the more I, you know, I had friends and I talked to more folks who are from the immigrant community, it just, it goes to show like the struggles are what like unite us. Um, and it's very relatable to the entire immigrant community, no matter where you're where you're coming from. You know, I come from Bangladesh, but like the same struggle can can be relating to somebody who is coming from India or Pakistan or you know from the Middle East. It's pretty much the same thing that we all go through. Yeah, thank you for sharing that about yourself. And I definitely cannot imagine how difficult that would be to go through all that, like with your family, like what you shared, like with that separation period, even like, that's a long period of time to be separated from your family. I can definitely see how that would be very challenging. And I also like how you spoke on how you're kind of slowly realizing that it's not just you and your family that this is impacting. Like, unfortunately, a lot of people are also impacted by similar experiences, especially with not being documented and all like, you know, the the barriers that come with that. So I appreciate you speaking on that. And also, it's interesting to me to see how like, this impacted your worldview and also like what you want to go into as a career. Because mm-hmm. I do know that you are studying international migration. So I want to hear from you how you got interested in, in studying that. Right. It, it's funny that uh, when I got here, like I said, I started eighth grade. And when I was looking into high schools, obviously, my parents being the brown parents, they like really pushed me to kind of reach for the STEM areas. And so the school that at the high school that I accept, I got accepted to was aviation high school. And while it was really cool to learn all about planes and how to fix airplanes, you know, by the time I kind of became a senior in high school that um, kind of deemed away um, my passion kind of where always, you know, I always kind of found myself being more passionate about politics and social justice issues and everything that is happening around us, you know. Um, and I was always very much outspoken in certain issues that I thought was so unfair, given such a young age, even though I didn't probably much have many information, I just thought, well, this is unfair and I'm going to talk about it. You know, my senior year in high school was when I uh, when I was applying for colleges. That's when it kind of hit me that I think I wanted to do something that is related, quote unquote, liberal arts. But I picked international studies during my bachelor's. I had immense support from my professors and my peers. And I gained a lot of knowledge in international studies and international affairs. You know, I got to 
intern at the UN, I actually got to, you know, be part of this huge international organization. And I got to learn a lot, for sure. But after graduating, though, the, uh, with my bachelor's degree, um, I just knew that I wanted to focus on something that is more relatable to me. And while I was researching for graduate programs, International Migration was a program that was very new in the CUNY Grad Center. Um, and I was looking into CUNY, CUNY Grad Center at that moment because I've been to the CUNY ins institution before uh, for my bachelor's. And I just knew that this program would be for me because like I mentioned before, even though um, I knew that my experiences were unique, uh, but it's also something that is that unifies, you know, the entire immigrant community. And I just wanted to kind of lean in to more of a research-based thing when it came to immigration and immigrant communities. Yeah, I, I came here, I quote-unquote came here legally. I don't, like, whatever that even means. But there are other aspects of what migration looks like. So there can be, you know, refugees and asylum seekers. And there's just so many variations to it. So I really wanted to kind of deep dive into the spectrum of studies. Exactly. Yeah. And it sounds like to me, like studying this is also kind of, does it also kind of help you understand more about like your own experience? For sure. I mean, uh, so far, I mean, I finished my first semester and the the readings, the, ex the extensive readings that we have gotten, um, although of course those readings are not based on a Bangladeshi American Muslim immigrant uh, experience, right? They're focused on perhaps Mexican immigrants or you know Dominican Republic immigrants. But at the same time, you can still find a way to kind of relate the experience that they are sharing in such research. And yeah, with with the classes that I've taken, they were very much just research based. A lot of readings. But um, in classes, we, we can all kind of come in together and share our own experiences and kind of talk about it, which has been really unique. I would say, you know, what I, I feel like when I was in bachelor's, I, there weren't many times where I could speak about my own experience as an, as an immigrant. Uh, whereas in these classes, there are so many people coming from different backgrounds and we can all just talk about it. And it's been therapeutic, you know, as well. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And I can definitely relate to that, too, because I'm a similar to you in the sense where, like, I went into the field of psychology. But the reason why was because originally in high school, I just wanted to understand, like, my own family's mental mm -hmm. health, because I saw a lot of mental health problems in, within my own family. And I just wanted to understand, like, what was going on. And, like, even within myself, I noticed something. So that was originally what drove me to study, to go into like therapy and stuff like that as well. So I, I can kind of relate to that. And like, they do say that education is like empowerment. So I can also relate to you in the sense where like knowing all this knowledge now about mental health and like how social justice issues also impact mental health. It kind of like helps me get to know my own self and my family better, but also helps me, like you said, like relate to others as well who might be mm -hmm. struggling with similar issues and to see what I can do with this knowledge to kind of push things forward and kind of give back to others who might also be experiencing similar things too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, mental health aspect of while being an immigrant is something that has been so untouched yeah. um, and not many people talk about that. Um, and I think feel like that also has to de that also has to go back to how immigrants like 
well, let's talk about my parents, specifically my father who came here so long ago. Uh, the fact that he suppressed a lot of his emotional and mental challenges from so long, uh, even from us, you know, from his own family, that also kind of says a lot about the struggle that everyone goes through, but no one is talking about. So it really kind of starts from like generations of immigrants that have come here. They're only coming here. Obviously, they're trying to survive. Uh, they're trying to just work hard, pay their bills, you know, and take care of their families. These are just really simple things that a lot of immigrants kind of come for in in countries like America, but the emotional and mental health challenges are immense when you're working two, three jobs, but you're still kind of struggling to pay, to put food in, in your table. That's, that's a lot of stress, but it kind of goes unsaid and goes unnoticed a lot. Of exactly. Definitely. I'm really glad that you brought that up, that there is this like stigma, especially mm -hmm. more like Eastern cultures as well, like South Asian cultures and also in like Bengali culture that I've heard from you as well say that there's kind of like the stigma of speaking out about mental health too and like asking for help and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So that just adds to why I'm really happy that we're sitting down and talking about that today. Mm -hmm. So if we want to dive right into that, what has been some of your personal experience navigating your own mental health, being a first generation also an immigrant in the U.S.? Sure. I mean, if I'm talking about my personal experiences, it has been challenging, especially for a young teen uh, who gets migrated from another country. When you're a teenager, you're already struggling with so many things. Um, and then add, you know, you being a new immigrant in a school in America. And it just, it adds, it adds up. It, it continuously just adds up. Obviously, I didn't know what I was feeling back then and what to name it. You know, I obviously have been bullied because of how I spoke or because of how I didn't speak and things that I didn't understand, things that I didn't do well. I would come home, I would obviously feel sad, but I couldn't attach a name to it. So that's another thing. It's like the lack of education that we have or that we are being provided. And it, it kind of goes to show that even at schools, yeah, America, or even in, in schools in America, they're very open to, you know, kind of welcoming migrant children. But what are the resources that you're actually providing them? Sure, you're giving them the English classes mm -hmm. that will help them kind of, you know, break those language barriers. But what, what about the mental health barriers? And these should be available to you from a very young age, this really should be available to you. You really have to understand what immigrant and migrant children really come from and what they go through. On a different perspective is also the fact that like we have to adjust to this community now and we have to adjust to a Western world, you know, whatever you kind of take it as. But also you have to maintain your culture and traditions from back home. You have to balance the two and you have to really do it in a proper way without disrespecting one another. So that has been so challenging for me, seeing my parents hurting and not, you know, talking to us about it was also a level of stress that would add to me and my brother because it, it was it was unspoken. Uh, we all saw that my parents struggled so much to get jobs, uh, to put food in our table, to pay the rent on time and the abuse that they have gotten in their workplaces, as well as uh, in, the, in, in the apartments that we were renting from the landlord. It was there, but it was so unspoken of. It's just something that, you know, as like brown dads or 
South Asian dads would say, you gotta do what you gotta do. You have to just go past this and we'll, we'll survive. I just hope that for the future, at least for future generations of immigrants, we get to acknowledge, you know, the mental stress and emotional stress that we do have in our families and we get to talk about it more, even amongst each other. Exactly, yeah. I really like that point that you made about the acknowledgement piece. Because I think that's really big. Obviously, you know, there needs to be a lot of action taken with the way society is structured as well, because like we were mentioning, social justice issues have a direct impact on mental health as well. So I definitely want to acknowledge that. But also just that naming aspect of just like acknowledging and just putting it out there that this is something that I'm struggling with or this Mm -hmm. is something we're struggling with. That can be very powerful too in and of itself. And like you said, like, especially that mental health piece, it can really impact that. Like if you just suppress that versus if you just name out loud what's going on, that can cause a huge difference too. So yeah, mm-hmm. I definitely, definitely like that you brought that up for sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I definitely struggle with a lot of, you know, highs and lows in my personal experience. And again, even when I was in college, I couldn't really name it. And there was no resource for me to seek therapy because of how much money you have to pay for therapy sessions, right? And that's another thing that is a barrier to a lot of low-income immigrant communities. And I remember, I feel like as a South Asian kid, you're constantly doing more and more and more. You know, you have to be academically great. You have to do extracurricular activities. You have to just be constant on your game. And I was exactly that. Even from high school until college, I was exactly that. I had multiple activities that I would do after after school. And, you know, I did reach a point where I just completely burnt out. I couldn't focus on anything. I couldn't focus on school. I, I was borderline failing. And uh, I remember having this office hour talk with one of my professor. And he's really just like, what happened? Because he had seen me kind of doing everything so good up until this point and that's when I kind of opened up to him like well I'm going through this kind of stress I it was literally right around um after uh, Donald Trump was elected um and my father was still undocumented um so the stress that I had to endure during that election period was so heavy but I couldn't speak about it to anybody. I was also not, you know, a naturalized citizen by that point. So I didn't have a say on it because I couldn't vote either. So it's kind of amazing how politics and who we kind of elect in this country has such immense impact on low-income immigrant communities. And I, I dealt with that, just the stress of it. And just, I remember the night he got elected, I just, I thought, that's it. My father is definitely getting deported. And that said, this is my life in America and we are going back. When I have to spend so many years adapting to this country, right? And I have dreams and hopes that I want to achieve in this country. And that was it. And I thought that was the end. And that stress alone was just burning me out so much to the point where I, I truly felt, why am I working so hard? It, it wouldn't reach to my goal because I'm clearly not welcome, you know, in this country. So, you know, while I was talking to my professor, he gave me this resource that was a kind of like free therapy session in my college. 
And I went in, that was my first therapy session that I've had with a therapist. And I just told her kind of everything that I was dealing with. And at the end, she's like, you have this classic case of depression. You do have depression. And I would like you to seek help. You, you should seek more help. There are a lot of things that needs to be unpacked. And that was just like such a new phase. And that was just like depression, me, like, wow, I didn't. No, I didn't understand this. It was a lot to unpack because what does depression really look like? I don't know if I'm the normal case of a depression where, oh, but I'm still getting out of my bed. I'm still getting out of my room. I'm still going by my day. So how can I be depressed, right? So there was just a lot to unpack. There was just a lot for me to learn. I, I remember I had to do that on my own. You know, granted, like things have been better for me and my life and I have moved on and my father has since then gotten his papers but um which has you know helped us tremendously with with our whether it's my dad's income whether living a good life quote unquote but we're kind of at peace right we don't have to constantly think about that we are under attack and then we have to kind of hide our identity and or hide my dad's identity in that manner he, although i have not necessarily seeked mental health um, sessions, you know, after that, which obviously then goes to, I didn't have a proper job. Um, I couldn't pay for it. Uh, and it was just that one first free session that I've gotten from school that really kind of helped me unpack just my emotional trauma. And so I kind of dealt with it on my own. So whether it's kind of journaling, meditation, going to the gym, or just things that I can do to kind of feel good that I have been doing. It's definitely like, so challenging to have to like navigate all of that stuff on your own. And there's so many like barriers, like we were talking about already stacked against you. And then to have to navigate all of that by yourself. And that definitely would be like, super challenging and have a very big impact on your mental health for sure. And mm -hmm. I also like how you brought up that depression can look so different. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like I myself didn't know this until I started studying more about psychology and like actually learning more about how different mental health conditions can look. Um, I didn't know that like, yeah, beforehand, I thought it was just a stereotypical, you just can't get out of bed, you mm -hmm. know, um, which that is very real for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. But also, it can look the opposite for some people too. I can relate to that. I'm a hyper productive person. And my depression also manifests in me overworking myself, actually, right. instead of, you know, just sitting in my bed. So um, then I overwork myself and then I burn out. And then that's also a, a depression as well. Right. So I like how you brought attention to it can look very differently for different people and how to be aware of, like, okay, this is what it looks like for me. You know, this is what mm -hmm. I need to do to help myself in this moment. Um, right. so yeah, I like how you called attention to that. Yeah, I feel like the hope that I have for the future is to just normalize even talking about how you feel and talking about burnouts, because I'm, I'm 100% sure that even in my family, like my mother has faced that my father has faced it, working two or three jobs at the same time. And so have I, and, uh, you know, so have my brother. And I just really hope that we can reach to a point where it can be normalized talking, even within our family. I think that can be so helpful for all of us in an immigrant family. That is just so much, so, so needed, I feel. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. It just like, it starts from just having those conversations at home. 
which I know can be very difficult because of a lot of the reasons why we mentioned. But yeah, just like even if you're not comfortable speaking out in public with people about it or like posting about it, you know, publicly, even just like sitting down with your family and having that check in, you know, like at least once a week, like let's have a family meeting, let's check in. How's Mm -hmm. everyone doing? Does anyone need anything? Even Mm -hmm. those like small moments, you don't really have to be like, oh, what is everyone's, how is everyone's mental health today? Like, it doesn't have to be like super blatant like that. It could even just be like something small as checking in with each other. Oh, hey, I noticed that, you know, you were like overworking yourself or you're like booking yourself like back to back. Is everything Mm -hmm. good? Um, So even like those little things can, can do so much for sure. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like in uh, specifically, if I can say like in South Asian community, or if if I want to narrow down within the Bangladeshi community, I know like we talk about a lot of our emotional stress when there is something like something huge has happened. So like somebody has died. We like we're so close to that's when we can talk so much about that loss. Um, But I just think we don't have to wait. We don't have to you know, do this when we have lost someone or there's has been like such a big event for us to talk about how we are feeling. Like you said, like it doesn't need to be such like a formal thing, like let's talk about mental health, but it can just to be kind of, li- you know, being in the living room and just talking about, hey, so how have you been feeling uh, lately and what's been going on? Uh, what's in your mind right now and how can we help in in my family when I you know get married I have children like that is something like I want to do and I feel like this is how we can change certain things and change certain traditions like certain family traditions even though perhaps I wouldn't say it's too late to have that in my family like we still talk about a lot of things you know I remember going up to my dad one one night when I was feeling really really low and kind of breaking down and talking telling him hey I you know I I was diagnosed with depression right I I I really feel this way and my dad just quietly said I am depressed too and I have gone through that same feelings as well the same kind of emotions as well Uh, and you have no idea you have no idea how much struggle that I've had with my emotional and mental health and that was kind of just such a shock to me. But at the same time, like, of course, of course, my dad has gone through that. Mm-hmm. It's like, who am I even kind of telling my, um, you know, emotions to? This is like, both of us are just struggling at the, at the moment. My struggle can be different and his struggle can be different, but we are both going through this. And that was another thing that I, you know, had to learn um, very recently. It also goes to show how mental health is such a learning process and you can grasp it overnight. You really have to just take one step at a time. You cannot be an expert at it. You cannot, you know, debunk it in one night. You have to really just take one step at a time to understand a lot about your emotional feelings and mental feelings, as well as others around you. Wow, that's really big. Like the fact that your dad just openly admitted that he also experiences depression, the amount of South Asian uncles or like, especially like males, you know, male identifying South Asian Mm -hmm. individuals that I know that especially have like immigrated here, or that are older, like in the older generations, I barely have heard any of them ever like openly admit that what they're going through. So that's like very big, just the fact that your dad said that to you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, 
again, like that was that one time where he just like openly kind of said the word depression even. But other times, if like there's something happening um, in the household, there is a fight or whatever, like, it's like, I'm not feeling good. I cannot take this. And that just kind of like means this is literally just challenging him mentally more, even though like the, these words are not being said. It's just, I'm not feeling good. I cannot deal with this. I don't want to deal with this. Like, let's just, um, you know, move past it or certain things like that. I mean, even at that, it's just like one step at a time, right? Like, at least my parents are still acknowledging certain aspects of like what can actually make somebody depressed or what can be a mental health challenge. I mean, if I can give this example, and this happened very recently, my parents, they, uh, they kind of got to know about my, my interracial relationship, which is kind of big in South Asian culture, right? I heard my parents talking about it and kind of my, ma- my mom was telling my dad like, hey, like she has been with this guy. Yeah, like he is from a different culture, from a different country, but she has been with this guy for four years. If we do anything, this is going to challenge her mentally. This is going to challenge her mental peace. We don't want that for our daughter. And so like certain things like that, when you hear it, even though I was like hearing it from like upstairs, kind of like eavesdropping, but it's just for my parents to even acknowledge that was so big for them to even understand like, oh, if we do this to her, this is this is gonna really challenge her mental health. It's gonna emotionally just drown her. Let's not do this to our daughter. Let's come to kind of a meeting point and we can all work this through. And that was so, so big. So yeah, I just wanted to share that as well. Definitely. Yeah, that is really big. Like, wow, that's, that's amazing. It sounds like they're trying to be supportive or trying to meet you where you're at and be like, okay, like, this is a situation. It's been four years. So it seems like, you know, it's like, (laughs) there's no going back. (laughs) I mean, my parents, of course, they're very traditional. They're very traditional Muslim and religion and culture is everything to them. But at the same time, they're not your kind of typical strict parents, I would say, like, there has been many instances, even within my family, with my cousins, where they have heard of a relationship, a kind of like a love affair, whatever you call it, and they're very much against it. They just like, you know, throw their hands and they're just like, no, we're not going to accept it. That's it. We're never going to accept it. And that just creates more stress, creates more emotional stress. Um, and my parents really do acknowledge that, you know, even within, like I said, like, like when, when, whenever that happened within my family, my parents were the one kind of talking to my uncles and aunties saying like, you cannot do this. <laughs> when they have their hearts set in, you cannot do this. You cannot just disown your family members just because they, they want something that you don't want. Like this is going to create a lot of emotional stress for both of you. Don't do this. It's not worth it. So I'm, I'm, I feel like I got lucky that my parents at least understand that there is this aspect and it's not worth it. And I'm glad that they, they understand that they have a fair share of, you know, responsibility to kind of even take care of their own children's mental health and what can be done and what cannot be done. So that is very important as well. Yeah, definitely. And like, I think there comes a point in all of our lives when we become adults and then we realize, oh shit, our parents are just human beings and Mm. they're just really doing the best that they can with what they have, with what they were given. Like the more I learn about what my parents' upbringing was like, I'm like, wow, my upbringing was, even though I have a lot of critiques about my upbringing (laughs) and there's a lot of things I would change when I'm 
you know, a, a mother. But I look back and I hear like how my parents grew up and I'm like, damn, like I had it a million times better than that. Like my parents tried to really kind of like what I'm thinking, like they're like, we, we were raised like this. We want to raise our children, make sure that they didn't also experience this. So now like knowing the whole context of like where my parents were raised, how they were raised, I'm like, wow, they really were just, and are still are just trying to do the best that they can with, with what they have, you know? Right. And parenting as a topic is so like interesting to me to like you are here when you're in America. There's so many books to read. Yeah. Uh, What to expect when you're expecting, you know, things like that. It's like how to be a good parent. There's just so many resources and people are actually able to kind of reach out for them. But our parents didn't have that. My parents, they were arranged marriage. They were told to have kids, so they had, so they did, because that was just like the next step to have after you get married. And they literally, like you said, they just did their best, and they're not perfect. They're human beings. They made they made mistakes. I feel like at least when I was a teenager, I definitely I held a lot of grudges, yeah. where it's like, how can my parents do this? Even when I was growing up, I really held grudges against my dad. How could you have left me for 10 years? You have no idea what I have gone through. Now that I'm an adult, I can look back and actually see that I, I was wrong. And I can like kind of see both sides as well. Like, of course, yeah, I struggle with like an absence of a father figure, but my dad was alone here. He didn't have nobody, you know, and I had to kind of not coming in terms, but understand that there are stories on both sides and everyone is correct as well. And he did the best he could. He had a choice to leave our country where he didn't have any job. He we were financially unstable and there was no guarantee that he could ever have a job. And with the economy that we have, we at least we have had back home. It was very rough. And this was that one choice that he had. So he left and he risked his life to do all that. So I feel like as we grow older, we kind of just forgive our parents. We learn how to forgive our parents and just say, you know, they're human beings. They have done the best that they could. And I I feel like, you know, as we grow older, we are, we are also going to be do- making mistakes as well. Like we're not going to be perfect, even though there are so many parenting books that we have and we have resources and we have learned what not to do from our parents as well. Uh, But at the same time, I don't think we can be perfect either. Like we cannot put a parenting in a, in a pedestal. There can be a perfect parent ever. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, I like how you said, like, it's up to us to move forward. I feel like that's just how generations go. Like if you look at generational patterns, my parents said the same thing about their parents, like my grandparents, you know, and then my grandparents say the same thing about my great grandparents, you know, each generation just tries to push the bar a little bit forward and forward. And again, like do the best that they can with what they have. So yeah, like when it comes to our turn, like we're going to do the same thing. We're going to try to like use what we have and do the best we can to move things forward. And then I'm sure there's going to be a bunch of things that we won't do right too. And then our kids will, you know, get to apply that when they, you know, get there too. So it's just like, that's how that cycle goes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's a whole cycle. It's a never ending cycle. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I know we talked about how Um, mental health and your experiences immigrating here impacted the rest of your family as well if you want to speak a little bit more to that yes like I said it it 
has been so unspoken. I mean, but at the same time, when my parents did speak about the struggle that they have had, you know, with my dad, it's always kind of, it just happens abruptly. It happens like probably during a fight or something where it's like, you guys have no idea what I have gone through and I have done this, this and this. And that's when he kind of, kind of, that's when he feels like he can let that go. That's when he feels like, all right, now that I feel more stressed, I can just say that abruptly. Um, but it's interesting because there can be a lot of ways to kind of acknowledge that that stress. And there's always this like back and forth that my both of my parents have where if my mom has got come off from work and my dad has done the same, like they have both come off, uh, come home from work, they kind of both talk about their own experiences at work. Like I had to stand 12 hours. Well, I had, well, okay, but I, I had to walk around this many times and it was there were so many clients and there were just so many people I couldn't deal with like it just like back and forth back and forth but even though they're acknowledging their stress it's never like all right so what can we do about it (laughs) (laughs) so it's very interesting the dynamic of course like they speak about it but there is no like all right so now that I, I, I stood at a store for 12 hours how did that make me feel? You know, exactly. it, I feel like that is what there needs to be more resources for, at least. It's interesting that my dad, when he was undocumented, you can go through so many law offices, right? So many law firms and you can Google so many things. There is zero resource for mental health. For those who are undocumented, any re- like there is nothing for them to help them emotionally to help them mentally. There is nothing. And that should be free on top of that. Sure, you can seek therapy, but therapy should be free of charge for undocumented folks. And it should be available, I think. It should be funded by by the government, whether it's by local government or state. It should be free. It should be accessible. And not just that, there should be more therapists. And I'm so glad that you're studying, uh, you know, to be a therapist. It's more important when brown people like we have people like us who are able to talk to us it's so hard to sit across a white woman and talk about our journey as an immigrant i'm sure if my dad were to kind of seek therapy he would have struggled so much because there there is no relatability factor there is no and on top of that yes my dad knows english but i'm sure there is a sense of an emotional ease when you're able to talk to another person in your own language right like there's so much that can be said especially like if we are thinking of from like our parents perspective there's so many words that perhaps our parents don't know in English to describe what they're feeling that's another thing that needs to be acknowledged as well you know looking back I really wished or I really hope that there was resources for my father as well he went to law firms he he went he'd done all these things I, I highly doubt there was a lawyer who sat down with him and said how are you feeling? We, By the way, we have this person who can talk to you about like how you're feeling. No, they they went straight to business. It's like, okay, this is what we can do and this is how much I'm going to charge you for it. It's difficult, especially being an undocumented immigrant here. There's just the lack of resources. It's just so immense. And I hope things can change. I, I At least I have faith for it. And I hope there can be more South Asian folks who can be therapists and are being supported you know, by their community as well, which is also important. Because as we know, we are constantly forced to kind of be an engineer or a doctor, but we are never forced to help others in, in, a, in a way 
that can be so instrumental in our community. You know, having a Bengali Muslim therapist, like I'm probably going to struggle even in New York City to find one. So that says a lot. Yeah, I think that's so true. I love the points that you made. I think like it's definitely so disheartening being a future therapist in the field to see the lack of accessibility um, and to see the amount that mental health is just not funded at all or like very underfunded when it is funded. So there's like so many barriers there. And then also it's kind of like when your own government doesn't prioritize putting money into mental health, how do you expect the society to prioritize their mental health? They're not going to be able to because their own government isn't prioritizing it. So it kind of makes things harder for people that do want to have access to their mental health um, to get that help. And definitely for undocumented individuals too would even be harder because of the insurance piece. Like so many people that are citizens don't even have health insurance or have access Mm -hmm. to that. So let alone somebody that doesn't have their document, that would be even tougher. Even if you could, most likely it'd be like a white person. And then Mm -hmm. if you don't feel comfortable speaking to a white person in that setting, then how much help is going to be done there too? Mm Because I can't speak for all people of color, but definitely for myself, I can speak. And I wouldn't be able to open up to a white therapist. So that's why I like purposely sought out a woman of color and I couldn't find a South Asian woman. So I found my therapist is a Filipino woman. Mm. Um, But I was like, you know what? I'm going to take what I can get. Like, (laughs) you know? Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. It's really, like I said, I feel like I I hope things change that I feel like you are in, in that path of making that those changes as well. So props to you. And props to, you know, every other South Asian woman who are studying to be a therapist or are studying to be a social worker and have experiences, have lived experiences that um, is a relatability factor to their clients. Exactly. Yeah. I feel like this leads us right into the next question as we've already started to talk about what changes you want to see in regards to. Uh, mental health and also international migration. But if you want to speak more about the changes you'd like to see with that too, especially since you're studying the field in the field as well. Yeah, I mean, for mental health, like I mentioned, like having a therapist that looks like us is so important and having more resources, having more free resources, that is so important. Um, And when it comes to, I mean, international migration, uh, the program that I'm in, thus far, the professors that I've had, they were all white, which is, again, to make that point where, yeah, they have the credentials. Of course, they have the credentials. They were great. It's just to have professors who who are people of color, who have lived experiences, can kind of come in uh, in these um, class discussions, uh, which is uh, very much needed because, you know, even though I have only finished my first semester, um, you can kind of see kind of like a gap between the students and the experiences that they're talking about versus the professors and what they think to be true or what they think to be right. And and you can uh, literally from a political perspective, you can also see how far the students are on the left side versus how professors can tend to be more centrist or more liberal, quote unquote. So that's another inter- interesting thing. And there has been 
many discussions about folks being undocumented, about the border and crossing of the border and political stances that people have in regards to, you know, these ways of migration. And there are many students who have who do have these lived experiences who are undocumented, who are from a Mexican descent and that can speak more about certain experiences and their lived experiences, you can still see that professors a lot of times might be not too accepting of a political perspective that this immigrant would have to say or students would have to say. And a lot of times we just agree to disagree. Um, of course, when it comes to it, it, I feel like it's sad. I would say that it's sad that migration, the topic of migration is so politi politicized it's so political that people really don't think that it is a matter of life and death for most people. And I really do hate that when over and over again, the topic of migration and refugees and immigrants are constantly on, on the political spectrum. It's although the human rights aspect doesn't even exist. A lot of times that is completely stripped away. So when you talk about immigration, and you talk so politically about it, that's when you stop seeing immigrants as human beings and you stop seeing that they too have human rights. You know, we talk a lot about Trump and what he had done uh, when it comes to immigration. And personally, I don't think it's the doing of him. It's really, it, it has been there for years on end. Trump has just spoken it out in kind of clear words, I would say. A lot of pol politicians have had the same rhetoric as Trump, who have lasted for so long in our Senates and Congress. Trump just said it in a proper English, I would say. You know, the, the immigration rhetoric that we have, it has lasted for so long in this country. It just became more for, forefrontal, I would say, after Trump was elected. That's exactly why more people who do believe in Trump, who are his supporters, they now also feel a sense of like, all right, so whatever we were thinking is true and not realizing that, you know, immigrants are exactly the same hardworking folks that they are. They do not realize that. They really think that immigrants are just here and getting free services. When in fact, my dad has paid taxes for 20 years of his life being an undocumented, and that's literally every undocumented immigrant that you meet. They pay their taxes. They do everything that an American does. But again, because it's so political, because of their legal status, I hate that word. I hate that this is even a thing. I hate that there is even a, a term of like illegal alien or illegal um, human. It, it blows my mind. But this is this is the country that we are in. And this is what the state is, even in the world. Again, I feel there needs to be, whether you're conservative, whether you have other political views, just the understanding that immigrants do work the same amount as you and are doing the same things that you are, that goes missing. And I wish people would have known that more. And maybe things would have changed a lot when people are talking about immigrants. And of course, there's such a long way to go. But it's like, I feel like the first step needs to be just acknowledging, like, they're doing everything that you are doing as an American. So why the different treatment? I feel like that is that should be the first step. Yeah, I think I really like how you said we need to acknowledge the humanity. I think we need to like get back to seeing each other's humanity because yeah. like you said, these labels, these politics, they take away that humanity from people and like you boil down people to just being an immigrant and that's right. doing a disservice 
to these people because they're not just immigrants. Like that's probably one aspect of them, but people are so multidimensional. Like they're never just one thing. So like when you think of somebody, oh, they're just an Mm -hmm. immigrant. No, they're probably like an artist or a mom or, you know, like a family member or like a community member. Like there's so, or like a musician or like, you know, there's so many things that people are. They're not just like one thing. So um, I like how you brought attention to seeing the humanity in that because I feel like a lot of people have this like animosity towards immigrants um, and that means that you know they're not thinking about these are human lives you know like yeah. no human being should ever be called illegal no like you're a human being yeah. you know like why are we yeah. calling why are we calling humans illegal I, I agree with you I don't that makes me feel makes me feel a type of way too for sure so yeah and and on top of it like what we talk about obviously like let's talk about politics right and like let's talk about political views when it comes to liberals a lot of times they obviously can preach about migrant rights and a lot of these things but for some reason i have i've seen this and uh, you know you you look at media outlets that are more liberal centric we are only as immigrants we're only being acknowledged when our grades are great uh when we get into harvard right when we get into yale when we you know reach to this top tier level of achievement that's when we are being acknowledged as oh look at this undocumented immigrant who have gotten accepted to every um ivy league school let's do a story on them and let's use that person as a product. But it's okay for us to be immigrants and not be this top tier student. It's okay for us to be undocumented and not get into Yale school. Like it's it's okay. And we still deserve the same appreciation that you have for this other person. And we don't have to just achieve all these success and goals for you to acknowledge us. We really don't. We can live and we, can, we still deserve to be acknowledged for whatever achievements that we have. I didn't graduate with a four-point GPA. I didn't. And that's okay. I did my best. I struggled. I have gone through my mental health challenges while in college. There is no news media outlet who wants to focus on that. And there's not a single person who wants to focus on that either. It's always like we have to be undocumented and we have to be kind of the top here most achieved person for somebody to look at like, oh, oh, okay, you're undocumented, but you have done all these things. Wow, great job. You're so welcome in our country. And this is why we need to, you know, focus more on immigration. Like just, that's when all these talks happen, but it's really like, all right, we don't have to achieve all these things for you to recognize us. Exactly. I love that you made that point. I think that point is so important. You don't have to be the supreme, like, you know, accepted to all these Ivy League schools for people to see the humanity or like to see that you're a human being. That is Mm -hmm. so problematic to me that, you know, people have to achieve all of these things in order to even be acknowledged for your basic human rights. So I really like that. And I've seen a lot of, especially liberals to make that point, Mm -hmm. like, oh, look at this person. I know their intentions are really good with that, but, you know, intention versus impact, right? Like your intentions could be good with something, but the impact of that could be what we're speaking of. Like you're communicating to this population of people that you have to look and act this way in order for Mm -hmm. us to acknowledge your existence. So I like how you, you pointed attention to that. 
Yeah, because I mean, it, I have had my fair share of, I mean, we all, I'm sure we have, where uh, whether it's your peers, whether it's in a class, you know, there can be very passionate folks who are talking about migrants' rights and all that. And they always kind of go back to the same kind of example where so-and-so, look at this, look at this person. They're undocumented and they have gotten into Yale Law School. Wow, this is what they can achieve when they're in our country. This is how they help our economy. And I said, they're like, so you don't see me? <laughs> so my struggle <laughs> is not valid and my achievements are not valid, whatever less it is, but they should still be valid, right? But it's interesting. I mean, like you said, they, they obviously don't come from you know, bad intentions, but it's just, let's normalize every immigrant and their struggles and their achievements, whether it's less or not. Yeah, and like most Americans themselves haven't even achieved these things. So it's like, how do you expect, you know, how do you put that expectation on um, others who are coming into the country to be set by this bar, the standard bar, when yeah. most Americans ourselves haven't even, you know, been able to achieve those things. And um, also, like, I feel like a lot of people just need to remember that everyone was an immigrant at some point, no matter how many generations mm -hmm. like your family has been here, your lineage has been here. Everybody was once an immigrant here, unless you're an indigenous person, or unless right. you're like native, native to the country. But yeah, I think people like also forget that piece that everyone was once new here, again, right. unless you're indigenous, but yeah. Yeah, that also goes back to like the same point that like we were both making um, about calling someone in, someone illegal in a land that is stolen. I, it's pretty ironic, um, yeah. um, you know, to call someone illegal and to create those borders that they're really just trying to, well, they're, they think that they're trying to limit migration happening from uh, Mexico, but, or from South, but at the same time, I mean, more people are leaving uh, United States than coming in. And that is a, a statistic that is known to be true. But the stigma or this idea that there's so many people, people are just like railing on the borders and they're just trying to escape and they just want to get in and they just know every way possible to get into this country is so wrong. Immigration has always been strict in this. We didn't need a border wall to stop immigration. And same with the, uh, folks seeking refuge in this country and asylum seekers. The amount of UN paperwork that they have to fill out, folks who are you know leaving from Syria, folks who are li living from Lebanon and Palestine, it takes years. It takes years. The huge amount of immigration screening, it takes years to happen. So this idea that people are just coming in so easy, it's pretty ironic to me and it's funny to me, but at the same time, like this is what is not being talked about. These kind of knowledge are not very easily accessible. Any politician, somebody like Trump, although he's not a politician, somebody can, like Trump can come in and say, oh, um, people are just coming in. People are just barging in and we have to stop them. Even though that's not true at all. Exactly, yeah. Just thinking like, why would somebody leave their homeland, leave everything they know to move somewhere just because? No, like they're leaving for a reason, right? Maybe like their home life or their home environment or their country back home is not safe. That's, 
I think like majority of the reasons why people move it for opportunity or in a lot of cases like refugees to escape a violent environment. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like a people like also need to keep in mind that people don't just up and leave yeah. their entire country and everything that they know just for fun. Like right. it's not something that, you know, um, that happens. So mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. Yeah, for sure. I mean, even like from my personal experience, when my mom got the the diversity visa application approved, we still had to stand in the embassy, by the way. Like, yeah, we we kind of uh, got it approved, but we still had to stand, stand in the American embassy in Dhaka and talk to them and tell them why we deserve to be here. So that's an entire process that we had to go through. And we were two little kids and it was just my mom. And I I remember kind of entering this interview room and there was this white guy kind of asking my mom questions. And like, all my mom could say was, these two, these two children have been without their father for 10 years. This is why I want to go. And it, it sucks that we, ha- we even have to say that. We even have to go to that extent to say, hey, I'm trying to unify my family in, in this case. Can you please let us in? Can you please just not think of it in a more political or logistical way, but think through your heart. We are constantly just begging for it, but this shouldn't be the case. They really shouldn't. Yeah, and even like the fact that you had to share that private information that's like your own family's like experience that's so messed up to me too that you have to go in this unknown area and like Mm -hmm. disclose to this random person who is a white person too who might Mm -hmm. not even like (laughs) understand really or 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 care (laughs) yeah and like (laughs) why is it their business to know what's going on like that's that should be something that's private you know so like the very fact that your family had to disclose something so personal yeah. and then have to use that kind of like had no choice but to disclose. Right. Um, and, then and this is, yeah, out. and this is on top of like all the screenings that they already go through, like we already go through. This is all after all the criminal background checks. This is after all types of background checks that you name it. And even after that, we still have to prove our worth, right? Yeah. And it's just, it's mind boggling to me. Yeah, it's like you have to like persuade people mm. that you're worthy of being, you know, like in America or something. In America, like yeah. You're worthy of having this opportunity. So, which is really messed up to me. And I also want to reiterate something I said earlier um, when I said, you know, a lot of people wouldn't just like up and leave unless mm. they really had to. I want to add on to that and say, even if somebody wanted to just up and leave for the fun of it, yeah, they yeah. should still still shouldn't be treated the way they are treated. So exactly. I, I wanted to go back and and add on to what I said earlier with that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it it really shouldn't be this tricky and this hard to just go from one part of the world to another. But I mean, here we are, and like I've said, immigration and the screening process has always been tough especially in this country I can only speak of this country and also especially after 9-11 as well that had such an impact on the Muslim community and folks who are trying to come from a Muslim background or a Muslim country and just the amount of screening that that is extra and not just that even after you have passed all the screening even after you have begged your way out even when we land in airports, we are still being separated from others and, you know, taken to another room 
to ask more questions, to answer more, and just to answer our life away to this country. And it's just, again, so much, so much. And for what? Again, this is something that when you look a certain way or when you have a certain religious belief, you have a certain last name, that's when all the integration kind of starts and it never stops. It really never stops, ever. Exactly. It's kind of like this constant reminder that, oh, you're different or like, oh, Mm -hmm. you don't belong here or like, oh, we're watching you. Mm -hmm. And it's like indirect ways. They won't like come out and blatantly say it. Well, now through Trump's presidency, we've seen more people just coming out and blatantly saying it. But, Mm -hmm. you know, most of the time it's kind of like unsaid, but like in very subtle ways, like through actions or like that selective screening and through the airports and stuff. And I can relate to that too. Even though by the time I was born, my parents got their documentation and all that. But even then, like I remember growing up and ever since I can remember my family, we love to go on vacations. And like every time we fly internationally, my dad gets stopped and we have to like plan going to the airport three hours ahead of our departure time just so we plan for the time that we're going to be stopped and like set aside and like screened and because like my dad has like a similar like name or something as a terrorist that's on their list or something Mm. so or like same birth date or something so it's just like this constant reminder you know and it's oh like why can't we just like we're just like a family going on vacation (laughs) Yeah, why can't we just live? Yeah, that's just, it never works out that way. Exactly, yeah. But um, I want to thank you so much for sharing your experience. I know that it can definitely be difficult to talk about, but like I always say, sometimes the most difficult things to talk about can be the most necessary. And hopefully people listening, um, if yeah. they've experienced something similar, they just can hear your story and be like, okay, somebody else went through that. Like, I'm not alone right. in that. So I appreciate you sharing your story. And I also want to ask you, what are the biggest lessons you've learned and what advice would you give to your younger self or what advice would you give to listeners who can relate? The biggest lessons I have learned, at least up until now, is you don't have to do everything all at once. So whether it's academics and whether it's extracurricular activities and just doing everything and having a part-time job. That's all I did, you know, throughout college. I worked, I had other clubs to run, and then I had my school. And I genuinely thought this is what I had to do to kind of prove a point or to have everything on my resume and to just, and not no limit. That was like the weirdest lesson where, no, you can still have boundaries, create a sense of boundary where you know, like, okay, I'm going to do this and this. These are great for me, but I also need some time to just focus on myself, focus on my health, focus on mind, body, and soul, uh, which were heavily neglected for sure during my undergrad years. And I feel like a lot of undergrad students definitely feel that way, definitely feel like just such heaviness to their shoulders that they have to achieve everything and they have to do everything to just get the perfect job right out of college. It's not worth your mental health. And if I were to give an advice to my younger self, I would definitely say that you're not alone in whatever you're feeling. That has definitely been another great lesson that I've learned. Felt just so lonely in uh, how I felt and my experiences and thought no one can relate to this. But, you know, as you speak to more people, people who look like you, people who 
are from your same from the same community or anybody who has the kind of same background story with you they can all tell you that it's completely the otherwise you know it's definitely not so unique and everyone has had to struggle with being an immigrant in this country and that too at such a young age and kind of also navigate your teen years and the western culture also maintaining your traditions and I definitely thought that I was so alone but that's not the case at all. Thank you um, for sharing that and also I want to give you space if you have any last thoughts you want to leave with the listeners before we wrap up. Take time to understand your feelings and Google all the resources that are just available to you, whether you're in school or any type of institution or at work. Just, you know, we have this thing called Google, which is, I would say, internet. Like, it's a blessing and a curse. But let's count our blessings a little bit more and maybe we can just seek things on our own. And let's normalize that for sure, because, you know, the world is not changing overnight. Um, Just because we have a new president, things are not changing for us overnight. So let's just help ourselves and help each other. If we get to know about this free resource, share it with your friends who are struggling and get in touch with your friends and just talk to them. That's all. (laughs) Definitely. Thank you so much for those last words. And Thank you again so much for being here and sitting down with me today and sharing your story. Um, Lastly, I want to ask you, where can people find you? Because I know you are active on social media. So where can people look you up? Yeah, I'm on social media. um, Definitely on Instagram. I'm more, you know, um, active. So on Instagram, I'm at Bay of Bengal, which is B-A-E of Bengal, B-E-N-G-A-L. I'm available there and it's an open account uh, it's public so anyone can follow me and dm me with anything if they need any help with grad school uh, even though I'm, I'm struggling still but maybe i can get some tips um in the application process and stuff like that definitely yeah thanks for sharing that and everyone go follow rabita i will put her contact and her social media in the episode notes as well so go look her up go follow her and show her some love and thank you again, Rubita, for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you. That. No, thank you for being such a great listener. Thank you for asking the most important questions. And uh, thank you for sharing your own personal experiences as well. And this was just such a great conversation. It's such a much needed conversation. as well. Definitely. I agree. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. As always, I thank you for listening and staying tuned. If you like this episode, feel free to share it with the people in your life. I would also really appreciate if you would subscribe to Synergy Cast on whatever podcast platform you prefer, give it a five-star rating, and leave a good review mentioning what you like about the podcast. You can also follow the Instagram for updates at SynergyCast, and I have also included that in the episode notes. I have now a new feature, which is a voice memo feature, which I am very excited about. So if you would like to send in your thoughts and your feelings or your personal experiences, feel free to record a voice memo and send it my way. I would love to include your voice in the next podcast episodes. Lastly, if you are willing and able, there is another new feature where you can donate however much money you want to help support SynergyCast financially. 
If you do choose to donate, the money would help me pay for several things. It would help me pay for myself, my own energies, my own efforts, and also the money would help pay my future guests, especially people of color, for their time, since I believe it is very important to compensate people of color, especially for their time and energy, since many BIPOC which stands for Black, Indigenous, and People of Color, have a history of being taken advantage of and underpaid or not paid at all for their efforts. So any and all ways you choose to support would be very much appreciated. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for more episodes coming your way soon. Stay safe, everyone, and take care.